Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. You are listening to our weekly class, Navigate and Master the Prayer Book, with Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. Over the past several weeks, many, many weeks, we have been going through davening, going through tefillot, going through prayer services in the morning, the evening, the afternoon, and the evening. So we have uh, morning time, which is includes Birkot HaShachar, Pesuket Zimra, and Shachari, the afternoon, Mincha, and Mari, uh, which is our evening service, and which begins each Jewish day of prayer. We begin in the evening, then to the morning, then to the afternoon. So before we move on to new territory this week, I want to open up to general questions that are lingering or confusion that's lingering on any topics within these. This might include choreography. It might include uh, stuff about gabaut, right? We didn't get too deeply into that, but how services are actually run when they're run in person might have to do with what we do during COVID times and what we add and don't add to services, uh, what we don't do when we're not together physically. It might just have to do with something I've mentioned a few times and you've been wanting to ask me and I haven't caught up on. So any lingering questions to throw in the mix? Steve's got one. I have one. Of course, right? Um, Great. At the very beginning here, this is really beautiful. It says, uh, I'm looking at the prayer skeleton and, you know, and rise from sleep, uh, gratitude, Mudani. And then the next line, it's uh, enter the prayer space, prepare, notice, and acknowledge. And then I, I wrote down the, the matovu on, um, for acknowledge. For the prepare and notice part, is there a, a blessing prayer that goes with those two? Or is it just we just go to, to matovu and the prepare and notice is all part of the matovu? Or is yeah. it, did I miss that? There's not another separate liturgy that needs to be said there, but there is some interesting rabbinic literature around the idea uh, that we don't just, for example, uh, use a prayer space as a pass through. So we wouldn't use it just to get from one place to another. So imagine that like the easiest shortcut to get from the school building to the main part of the synagogue would be to cut through the sanctuary because something was going on. If you could imagine that for a moment, uh, that we wouldn't just pass through there. We'd actually say some sort of a verse from Torah that would suffice. Ma tovu is often that verse that people say in that particular setting. Uh, but the idea is to the, prepare and, and notice do not necessarily have their own individual prayers that are assigned to them. Um, there, though, I, I I think that I put them on there as separate concepts because also you can one. Let's see. Let's see if you guys can come up with anything. What what might notice mean, for example, in the service, even before starting? Well, maybe kissing the mezuzah on the way in. Fantastic. I love that. Maybe if there's a mezuzah on the doorpost, you could kiss it. That's great. What else could notice be? Could be notice whether there's a minion or not, right? And in starting services, it could be notice where they are in services. Because one of the things that we've talked about over the course of services is that lots of us don't show up actually on time to services, right? We don't show up actually at the moment or even before the moment when services start. So the first thing that you all now know how to do is to notice where are we in services, which you can either tell based on the words of the liturgy or what else? 
the uh, Nusa. Yeah, listening to the music. Exactly. Is that what you're going to say, Ed? Listening to the music? Exactly. So also listening to the music of where we are in the service. So that's those are some of the things you could do to notice. You could also notice, notice if there's someone new there. Notice if somebody needs some help or guidance. Notice if you're in charge in the space. Notice if there's someone new there. And if it's a Torah day, maybe give them an honor. Right? What about prepare? What else could that have to do with? Think about your your body, especially in morning prayer. Oh, so like tally and tefillin and things like that? Exactly. Putting on your prayer gear, right? Some people, I wear a uh, kippah at all times. Some people do not keep their head covered at all times, but specifically do cover their head for services. So maybe that's the time where they put the kippah on. Then in order, we would also put on a talit. There's a blessing associated with putting on talit. That's lehita teif batzitzit to be wrapped up in, in the fringes. And there are also prayers for putting on tefillin, which happens after kippah and talit. So prepare could also be that. And there are specific blessings, brachot, that are associated with those actions. Great question, Steve. That was really good. Other questions that are bubbling up for people that have not yet been filled in? Well, if nobody else is, I do have one more. Sorry. No, go for it. It's good. Um, Excellent. And, and Shakari here, I, you know, the, um, the Yishtabak is, is the red light, right? You stop stop talking to the people near you right so when it goes all the way through just looking at it, it goes all the way through i'm assuming to the hatsi kaddish and then when when can when does that end when can we go back to the to, to start talking i guess so usually in the morning services let's imagine that we're talking about doing a full repetition of the amida so you're doing on a weekday morning, you're doing Yishtabach, there's a Chatzik Kaddish, there's Baruchu, and then you've got the blessings before and after Shema, and then your whispered private Amidah. When you finish your whispered private Amidah, then you're going to circle back up to the repetition through the Kedusha. When the Kedusha finishes and the Shaliach or Shlichat Sibor, the person leading, continues leading, but everyone else can sit down after that Kedusha, that's when we're back to sort of yellow light. You can all, you know, we can talk underneath the the person who's leading. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it goes faster than you think. It, it really does because it's just a tough time to come into the room if it's a place that takes us seriously because <laughs> then people are not talking at that moment. Great questions. Other things that are lingering could be about Sudarim or leadership or what we do during COVID. Just let it linger for a second in case anyone has anything. Well, don't hesitate to pop in and ask if other questions come up on um, on everything that we've covered to this point. At some point, somebody asked in the class, what about Friday evening services and weekday davening? Like, where is the crossover? Where is the line um, in t- at the end of the week? We've talked the past couple classes in particular about how Saturday night is the first weekday Amidah of the week. Now we're going to the other opposite end of the week. What's the last weekday Amidah of the week? The last one that we say of the regular week, the one that has all 13 of the Bakashot, the requests in the middle of it. What's the last one we say? Friday afternoon. Exactly. The last one we say is on Friday afternoon. And I 
had said last time that we talk a little bit about the idea of zamanim, a little bit of the idea of times when we were going to, um, when we are permitted to pray certain things. So tefillah is a, a mitzvah, a command that is in a zman grama, a fixed time. There's a fixed time in which we need to say prayers. So when roughly is the fixed time when we can say Mariv, more or less? Sunset. Right. More or less, we're aiming for Shkiyata Chama, which is the setting of the sun, which is equivalent to what we would call the sunset time. Like if you had a watch, if you're a surfer and it told you what time the sun went down, or you have a fancy watch, that's more or less that time. Okay. That is not to be confused with three stars in the sky time which is 42 or in some communities, 72, but usually 42 minutes after that sunset time. Do some math with me for a second. How do we get to 25 hours of Shabbat? Think about this for a second. If three stars coming out is 42 minutes after the sunset, where's the remnant? Do the math, extra hour, hour is 60 minutes, 42 of those minutes, Extend after Shabbat. The other 18. That's the 18, Ed. That's the magic 18. You're exactly right. Those 18 minutes of candle lighting, that's your hour. Right? So when people say Shabbat is not 24 hours, it's a 25-hour experience, or if you've you've never heard that before, Shabbat is a 25-hour experience. It's not a 24-hour experience. What people mean by that is 18 minutes before Shabbat is when we take on Shabbat to give it a little bit of a fence around a fence, right? A little bit of a protection, 42 minutes after. So when we're talking about the last Amidah at the end of the week, we're talking about doing it before certainly we get to Shkiata Hama. Let's talk about how we figure out what these times are in the day, though. This is really tricky. Leave aside the idea for a minute of hours like we know them. Okay, forget hours and the way that we think about hours. Think about hours as taking the hours of daylight that exist in a day and dividing them up over 12 parts. We call that a a rabbinic hour, a sha'ah, a a rabbinic length of time. Over the course of those daylight hours during the day, we divide them up into very early morning, um, what we call basically like the first rays of dawn, when those come up, that's the first time that we can say shacharit in the morning until at the very, very, very latest, the very latest we would want to do it is at chatzot, which is the halfway point, right? You might recognize the word chatzi in there, the halfway point between the morning and the evening time. This is just a primer on this. We could go a lot deeper on it, but I want to make it pretty basic for you for the moment. In the morning time, from the time when sort of the first rays of light come up until midway through the day, we can do uh, we can do shachri. From that midway point onward in the day, we can do mincha. There's a time in the afternoon that we call plag hamincha that becomes kind of a flagship point in our day that tells us basically if we if we do mincha before we get to that kind of flagship point in the afternoon, then any time after that time in the afternoon, we can also daven mari. We can daven the evening service, even if the evening hasn't quite fallen yet. 
right? So if you do mincha early enough, the easier way to think about it is this, I think. If you do mincha early enough, the afternoon service early enough in the afternoon, you've broken up your afternoon enough that you can then kind of do the evening service a little bit early. This is probably a much more important concept in times and places where davening, where it was actually dark outside, was a more dangerous endeavor. Uh, but that's the concept is that you basically want to do Mariv after sunset unless you've done the afternoon service, the mincha service early enough that you can then separate out your afternoon and you can do the evening service a little bit later. This goes back to the idea that we were talking about last week, which is why are there so many places that have minions that are morning minion and then afternoon slash evening minion? And the answer is this, right? It's the way that the day is divided up. It's easier to gather people twice a day than three separate times a day. And they can gather together and do mincha and mariv on either side of this dividing line. Does that make sense? Right? You'll find some really interesting places that pull some really interesting tricks. One of them is that we talked a little bit at some point in one of our early classes about how uh, Kaddish is something that's like a level in a game that's unlocked. That's kind of how it works. It basically like gets unlocked by doing certain prayers. You can do Mourner's Kaddish in particular or Kaddish to Rabbanan unlocked by doing something. So in the case of Mourner's Kaddish, it's by reading any biblical text. And in the case of Kaddish to Rabbanan, it's by reading a rabbinic teaching. Okay. This becomes important for people who are regulars at daily prayer services for saying Kaddish, right? For being Kaddish sayers. Some people, the way that they kind of skirt around having a full Mincha and Mariv service, if they're coming really, really, really tight in on the time where they can't quite meet early enough in the afternoon, especially as it gets to this time of year where you have to be so early in the afternoon to actually still make Mincha, before the Mariv service, what they can do is meet right before that line, say Ashrei, which is selections from different Psalms that include Psalm 145, and that unlocks the saying of Kaddish. And then they just do that. That's all their quote unquote Mincha services. And then they do Mariv. Okay. That's one way I have seen conservative synagogues in particular um try to get in enough mourners cottages for those who are saying mourners cottage multiple times a day so that that's just a little something extra on sort of times any questions about how zmanim work how these times function all of this sounds like workarounds is that bad that it sounds that way it well, sounds like last, this last piece is definitely a workaround it's not it's definitely and i particularly it, jumped out at me like well, it, it is a particular workaround, except that like it, what you're talking about is answering different needs. So if the question is, are you going to meet three times a day to sit, to do your prayer in a public like minion based setting, then this is not fulfilling that. Okay? This isn't doing it. You can pray mincha on your own. Remember, that's a big point of this class that I want you to understand is that all of these services, every single one of them can and should, according to rabbinic tradition, when not done in a minion, be done privately, right? So people can still do their mincha privately. But this last piece is totally in service of the idea that people are not going to do, min they're not going to do Kaddish privately. Mm. And so there are synagogue communities who, in service of that, they want to make sure 
that there is a mincha kaddish said, right? A kaddish said sort of in that block of time, and then a kaddish that said um, later. Okay. Now that you've seen the mincha service and how short it is, you might say you could probably do mincha itself in that, show. you know, you can pretty much squeeze it in in that length of time. But for some communities, this is a real squish. So thank you. Yeah, I, I'm with you on it feeling um, like a little bit of a foreground. Yeah, Denise. So on the timing, like I know in summertime, um, like we do Marif early when we like when there's Shabbat services at shul and then like Mincha and Kabbalat Shabbat are way before candle lighting and Mariv happens usually before it's totally dark outside. So is that okay to do like on a Tuesday? Yeah. Yeah. If you have somewhere to go at night. Yeah. The, the idea here is that you really, is that you can do Mariv after Plag Hamincha, which is a specific fixed time in the Zmanim calendar, you can actually find, maybe I have a screen share so you can see what this looks like, um, which you can do, um, I want to show you something, um, which you can do any uh, any day, as long as you've done basically Mincha early enough in the afternoon, you can then do Mariv after that that time in the afternoon. But remember, as we spoke about last week, that once you've done Mariv on Shabbat, right, Mariv for Shabbat, it is Shabbat, right? It's one of the three ways of affecting Shabbat coming into being. Either the time comes in, you do something ritual like candle lighting to bring it in, or you, I guess Kiddush would do the same thing. And um, and then uh, praying the evening service will do it too, right? So let me show you something. Um it's a particular website that I like a lot. And so this is my Zmanim. You can type in a, uh, that would be my Halachic Times. Type in my zip code. Because I have a login, I can go to change the date and look at different dates. Let's look at this Friday afternoon. Okay. And it tells you all these different nifty things. I'm going to read in the Hebrew and then the English. Okay. So let me zoom in because it's teensy. I'll scroll down as we go. Alot hashachar, the big, the the beams of light at dawn. The earliest that you can do it is five twenty-four in the morning. The earliest that's the earliest you can really say Shema, basically. Okay, earliest tallest and tefillin timing five fifty-four in the mornings. Mantzitzi utfilin. Hanetz hachama, the actual sunrise. That's six forty-three in the morning. Uh, latest Shema, according to the Magain Avraham, the latest you should say Shema in the morning is one authority. The latest you should say Shema is at 834. But these other authorities say the latest you can say Shema is the Gra and Balatanya. Uh, the, these author- authorities known as the Gra and the Balatanya, they would say you can do it as late as 913 in the morning. Notice that the time after which you should say Shema is early, before which rather you should say Shema is earlier than the time when you should say Shachri. Okay, Shachri has its own assigned Zmanim and time. And there's lots of rabbinic literature spilled over why this and, and why that. Um, then I told you Chatzot, this midday point, right? This is at 11.43 in the morning. The earliest, Mincha. Mincha Gedola. This is Lachumra being uh, uh, conservative. Is that you should do it at 12.13 in the afternoon. 
Then here's this plag hamincha, right? Our little halfway point, basically, in the afternoon between the chatzot and the sunset uh, timing. Um, and that's uh, at... Um, uh, that is at 3.41 in the afternoon. And then, because I picked a Friday on purpose, Hadlakat Nero, which is 18 minutes before Shkiat Tachama, Hashkia, see this? Um, that candling is at 4.25 in the afternoon. Sunset, sunset Shkiat Tachama is going to be um, at 4.43 that night. And then if you notice, the next evening, it's going to be at 5.55, which is basically that full um, uh, hour. Sorry, it's going to be 524. That's your 42 minutes here. So if you have a community that follows 72 minutes, I can't do math on the fly. That's why that's why these things exist, right? So this is a full calendar of your Zmanim in the daytime. This is the kind of thing that I tend, like the question is who uses this and for what, you know, in terms of like a daytime kind of thing. This is like if you take davening seriously and you're flying on an airplane and you're like, oh, shoot, what's the latest that I can say shema because I missed this because I'm like, this is when we look at it in our family is like when we need to know when the latest time is we can say one piece of this tefillah. Okay. But if you're there's a big difference between in the time zone, like you're like somewhere over the like, how do you how do you know? Like if you're over Cleveland. But you don't know you're over Cleveland, then what do you do? Yeah, you base it on when you where where you left from and also relatively speaking where you are and also follow basic rules and guidelines like don't daven shaharit when it's dark out. I mean, the, like there there are also basic guidelines you can um go by, but you basically go by where your um nowadays you can actually know where you're flying over. You actually know where you are, basically. I mean, I personally would probably not get hung up on this. It just doesn't feel like something that would make me crazy. But I can envision people who would really obsess on this. Well, sure. And, you, you know, imagine if you're in, God forbid, a, a kind of cycle of mourning and you're and you're saying Kaddish and you're actually somewhere where you could have a minion of people on the plane. You'd want to figure this out, right? I mean, this is true all the time, especially on trips to and from Israel, um, that people try to figure this out, how to how to do it on an airplane. So it is complicated when you're traveling. What do you do if you miss? I mentioned this last week a little bit. What happens if either because of the way that you're traveling, you could actually wind up missing a time if you do the logic, right? Um, or what if you just you just miss it? You had meetings, you had this, whatever, you missed this this time. What do you do? If you take seriously that you're supposed to say every Amidah of the day and you missed, let's say I didn't say the Mincha Amidah this afternoon. I didn't stop and say it privately. So what do I do? You I, do, can do a, I can do a Tashlum, right, which you probably recognize the the root is is from Shlemut, right? Completing. Tashlum. And that makeup, that makeup configuration is done as a repetition of the same Amidah that I, in my, I can only do it on the immediate next service. And I can do it as a repetition of that present Amidah. When I daven Mariv tonight, then I would need to do a repetition of the Mariv Amidah immediately after I did it the the first time. So I would do Mariv, then I would actually say Alenu, and then I would go back and I would do another Mariv Amidah as a Tashlum, as a makeup. 
And it's not terribly punitive if you become the kind of person who's so regular at davening that to make up an Amidah is to spend an extra two and a half minutes going through it. You know, there's some people who spend 10 minutes on every Amidah. That is not I. <laughs> I tend to rush it, if anything. But some people, it sure, it would take that long. But it's not terribly punitive because you're just repeating the Amidah. Yeah. That's Tashlum. That's my name. Any questions on Tashlum, on Zman, on the kind of fixed time? We've now situated ourselves in Friday afternoon, which is perfect for our Kabbalat Shabbat conversation. Hey, okay? it's now Friday afternoon. When can I say Kabbalat Shabbat? After you could, because you can say it early, right? Because you can bring in Shabbat early, correct? So after you, yeah, you don't have to wait until Shabbat happens to you. After you've said. Uh-oh, Mari, Mincha, which comes first, I can't remember. Mincha. 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 After you've said Mincha, then you can, no, is, but there is an amount of time, I don't know, I'm guessing. No, and any time after you've said Mincha, right, on a long Shabbat afternoon, you might have said Mincha at two in the afternoon, and Kabbalat Shabbat might not be until, you know, you could say Kabbalat Shabbat, by the way, can you say Kabbalat Shabbat late? To- totally, you can totally say Kabbalat Shabbat late. Oh, Keep freezing. I, I, did I freeze up? Okay. I guess it's an internet thing. Oh, it might be. Um, maybe. Um, is there, um, can you say Kabbalah Shabbat late is my question. Yes? No? I don't know. Yeah. You can You can totally say Kabbalah Shabbat late. You can absolutely say Kabbalah Shabbat late. Uh, you can say Mariv late, right? You can't make Shabbat start late. There's a difference, right? Shabbat itself is not going to start late. Shabbat's going to start when Shabbat's going to start. But a synagogue that, you know, only does, this used to be the case in the conservative movement in particular, where they would only have late services, right, on Friday nights. Like they would only do like an 8 p.m. Kabbalah Shabbat Amari, an after dinner service. It's totally kosher. There's no problem doing the davening late. You can do Mariv up until when you go to bed. Okay. So Kabbalah Shabbat, you can also do late, but you do it any time after you finish doing Mincha and you're ready to take on Shabbat, basically. Also, when you start Kabbalah Shabbat, you haven't taken on Shabbat just yet. So what is Kabbalah Shabbat structurally? What is the whole of Kabbalah Shabbat? Do you take a look at this together? I'd like us to take a look at this together. Let's have a little bit of fun with it. So I'm going to screen share. If you have a Shabbat and festival Sidor, go ahead and take it out. Like if you have a, a Sidor Lev Shalem, um, it begins on page 10 in Lev Shalem. I'm going to screen share either way. That's the big red one. And then if you have an older one, you can go and just turn to the beginning of Kabbalah Shabbat um, uh, 252 in the old Sim Shalom. I think it's page like, it's also very early, maybe page like 60, 14 or something in page in uh, the Slim Shalom. Um, Great. So let me pull this up in front of us. Here we go. Okay. Let's look at the structure together. We're going to walk, walk through the structure and then we're going to walk through the pieces of it together. So what's this? Do we do this? This is the first thing when you open up the Friday night sea door after you. By the way, where's Mincha? This is something very funny about the sea door. Where's Mincha? Oh, up. Way in the back. It's on page 289, 7989. It's way in the back of the sea door. What message does that send? What is it saying? What what does that historically note about 
our people, our customs, how people use this book? What What is the assumption that's being made in this text by printing the Nikhla in the back? Two separate services. Sure, definitely two separate services. Yeah, and, and what else? If it's buried, why is it buried? I'm saying it's buried. Why is it way back there? Would it because people come late on Friday? So that's the, that's one really great answer to this question is I mean, most that's people, my reason. Like I've never in my life heard Mincha on Friday. Right, because you'd have to really make it on time to make Mincha. That's a great reason. Good. Yeah, Any yeah. other reason? Why else? Maybe because the assumption is that one of two things is happening in most conservative synagogues. And I'm not saying whether the assumption is correct or incorrect, but either that most synagogues are not starting their Kabbalat Shabbat services most of the year early enough to do Mincha, because Mincha does have a stop time, right? You're not going to do Mincha once it's already Shkia, right? We're not going to do Mincha once it's already sunset time. So the assumption is either that synagogues are are not meeting early enough to do it, or even if they are, they're not starting with Mincha, right? That That's the assumption by printing a door like this, that, that a synagogue is either not meeting early enough to do it, or even if they are, they're not doing it, that it's in the back, right? That most people would have to flip to page 289 to do it. I think that's what it's saying, because if you thought the most synagogues did begin with, with Mincha, then you'd print it as the first thing in the book, right? Because that's how your Friday afternoons would start. And that's how the older Sidors were. The older Sidorim actually publish it in the front. But here, it's been moved to the back. So I find that fascinating. Okay. Also interesting is that the first few pages of the book, which are not printed here, but are noted in the um, outline here, are the preparation for Shabbat, Achanat le Shabbat, and Hadlakat Nerot Shabbat, candlelighting for Shabbat. This is a very tricky thing, but I want to explain this really carefully. Are you ready? I think I said this once before, but I'm going to try to outline this as perfectly as I can. And this is all about the logic of it. And if this interests you, then it can also be about the practical nature of doing Shabbat. If again, if this speaks to your soul, okay, it's possible for somebody to want to light their Shabbat candles on Friday night before they leave their home and before they walk or drive to shul, right? Maybe they're leaving their car at shul, whatever, or maybe they drive to and from shul, but they want to light their candles for Shabbat, but not take on Shabbat. Do you hear what I'm saying? You want to light your candles before you, because you know by the time you get home from Shabbat services, you can't light your candles. You hear what I'm saying? Follow me for a second. But did you say lighting candles is one of the three ways to bring on Shabbat? Yes, it is a way of bringing on Shabbat, of taking it on, but it doesn't have to affect Shabbat. It can't be that case because if you wanted to light candles in your home, but you still wanted to daven mincha at the synagogue, that wouldn't be possible, right? If you wanted to be able to light, because then by the time you got home from shul, you'd have either taken on Shabbat or Shabbat would have come on you. So you have to be able to do it. So there is actual rabbinic literature. If you're interested in it, I'm happy to pull it up. But basically the rabbinic conversation is this. You light your candles with the with the strict intentionality that you're not taking on Shabbat, that you will be taking on Shabbat when either Shabbat comes on or when you say Baruch Hu, Right? And so it's very possible to actually take on, uh, to actually light candles, but not take on Shabbat yet. It just has to be, right? It has to be the case that you're able to light candles, but still go to synagogue and pray the afternoon service and Shabbat hasn't started yet. Otherwise, tons of people would be out of luck in terms of lighting candles. Unless, what? 
What's the what's the saving mechanism in there? How do you how do you keep from that being a problem? Think about it logistically. Who traditionally in the Jewish family structure would light candles? So if the if the woman doesn't go to shul, then it's not an issue. Correct. If the person in the household who is responsible for lighting the candles is not going to synagogue, no problem. She davens mincha on her own. He davens mincha on his own, right? Doesn't go to shul. And once you're done with that, you light the candles. By the way, that's how it works in my house in the in the gender inversion, right? Because most of the time, the person not going to synagogue is the husband in our heterosexual partnership and marriage, right? So that's how he would do it. He'd daven mincha on his own, light candles. So I don't have to worry about it. I don't have this whole issue of like, do I light the candles and then and then not take it on and all that. So if there's somebody staying at home, no worries. That's why we don't talk about or think about this so much is because if in the family structure, there's basically always someone who's not leaving the home for a Friday evening, then no worries. But as soon as you have like family Shabbat services and people are going together, then you got to address this. Okay. Fun times with Zmanim and... and uh, <laughs> candlelighting and all these rituals. So let's look at the structure of um, of the service itself. So the first page in here, page 10, do we do this? Yeah, we do it. This is not something we skip. What category of prayer does this fall into? A piyut. Great. It's poetry. It's piyut. It's a beautiful piyut. Um, there are two forms, two versions of it. And if we get back to it in a little bit um, today, then we'll talk about how this differs from some other versions. We may have you pull out a comparative C-door and take a look at it together. But it's a four stanza poem, a beautiful poem from the 16th century, all about basically the love and passion between God and the Jewish people, really the Jewish individual. Yadid Nefesh, the beloved one of my soul. Really beautiful poem. Okay, so we do that. And then what? What's this? Uh, what liturgy is this? You... Yeah, it's Lachuna Rananaka. What liturgy is it? What's the, where does it come from? It's uh, from the Psalms, Psalm 95, it says. Good. It's Psalm 95. Excellent. What's this Aleph doing here? Why is there a random Aleph on the page? Well, it, it's the first one. and we, Very good, Amy. Gonna, That's exactly it. We're going to do more. We're going to do more. It's the first psalm of Kabbalah Shabbat, and it's letting you know. <laughs> it's the first one. There was an early version of this Sidor that was tested out by the Rabbinical Assembly and summarily dismissed, as far as I understand it, by a lot of people, which was taking the uh, widespread Sephardi practice of interspersing chapters from Shir Hashirim, like the full book of Psalms, uh, full book of Song of Songs, interspersing it with the Psalms of Shabbat. And yeah, it was dismissed, but this made more sense then, I think, too. They would number the Psalm, and then you'd have a chapter of Shir Hashirim, and then number the Psalm, etc. Um, anyway, it's the first one we're going to do. Are we going to do the whole Psalm? You can, yeah. you can, yeah. Yeah, we're going to do the whole Psalm. We're going to we're going to say the psalm. This, by the way, falls into the category of biblical poetry. It is poetry. It's a biblical quote. Right. It's just a full it's a full psalm. Are there any blessings in here? Nope. No, no. Blessing. It's just the psalm. That's all it is. It's a whole psalm. In hollow, we get the psalms broken up. Right. We took a look at that a little bit together. We get the psalms of of um, the same psalms from the same book of psalms. We get them 
broken up. They're different psalms than these ones that we say on Friday night. That one starts, I think, Psalm 115 is the first one that we do in Hallel. Don't quote me on that, but of course, this is now a podcast. Um, I think Psalm 115 is the first one that we do. It might be, no, Psalm 114 is the first one that we do. Psalm 114. And uh, here we're doing Psalm 95, followed by Psalm 96. <laughs> okay. Are we going to do the whole Psalm here too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to do the whole Psalm. So, so far we have Yadid Nefesh, the poem. Then we have Psalm 95, Psalm 96. What's next? 97. 97. 97. And which one are we on at this point? Right? What what are we on here? What's this, this telling us? It's another psalm. It's a third. Right, Gimel's number three. Aleph, yeah. Bet, Gimel. Right? Oh, so it's just numbering them. Good. Yeah. So the third psalm is Psalm 97. Good. What's going to be the next psalm? 98. Good. 98. We're going to get to 98. Good. What's the next psalm we're going to do, Olive? 99. Good. 99. Now here comes the trick. After we get through 96, 97, 98, uh, sorry, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, those are five psalms, then we break from the pattern and we skip backwards to a psalm that we say on Shabbat also during the Torah service, psalm that mentions God's name 18 times in it. So we actually rise to recite this one. And this is Psalm 29. It used to come at the beginning of Kabbalat Shabbat when it was first, uh, when the practice of Kabbalat was first initiated. We're going to come back to the story of Kabbalat Shabbat in a minute, but it was rearranged structurally. And now it falls here. Good. Is anyone in a Sidor other than Lev Shalem? Are we using something different? Okay. Interestingly, the next poem, the next meditation here, which is what category does this fall into? What is this? It's like it's a, a poem, right? Yep, it's just another poem. So we had poem, we had a piyut actually, right? We had a, like a structured poem. Then we had 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. Psalm 29, which mentions God's name a bunch of times. This poem does not appear in every Sidor. If you're using the old... Uh, the, the one where Kalash Shabbat starts on page 252, the old Sim Shalom from 1985, that edition does not include it. It does not exist in every edition of Kabbalat Shabbat, but it does in a lot of them. And it is attributed to the second century. It's an old poem. Uh, when we talk about the history of Kabbalat Shabbat, this poem is older than that. Right? This poem is older by far, by many centuries, than um supposedly, purportedly, um, than Kabbalat Shabbat as a structure is. Okay? Great. And then we get to the main staple poem in the middle of uh, Kabbalat Shabbat. What's the story of Kab- of, um, uh, of L'Chad Odi? We're welcoming. It is. Yeah. We're welcoming Shabbat. We're welcoming the Shabbat bride. Great. We're welcoming the Shabbat bride. This was specifically written by somebody who was at the at the in the middle of the school of mystical folk who invented the concept of Kabbalat Shabbat. Again, we'll get back to that story in a minute. And how do we know who wrote it? He wrote his name into it acrostically. Oh, cool, right? He wrote his name into it. So we get one, two, three. 
four, five, six, seven, eight, nine stanzas. The ninth stanza, what do we do choreographically? We rise. And where do we face? The door. We face the setting sun. Oh. So many people will have people uh, face the door, which is a lovely concept, uh, facing the entrance to the synagogue. The initial concept was to face the setting sun, was to turn a face, which would have been the opposite of facing east. So the the fact that you face the entrance is just sort of like an incidental, because if you're fa- if the arc is facing east, you're almost certainly going to be facing west when you turn around, right? Or facing the entrance when you turn around. Okay. Then what's this here structurally? It's a divider. Well, what this is, is so let me back up for a second and explain a little something about Shiva. When someone dies, who is in a close circle to a Jewish individual. So the Jewish individual is at the center of the circle. Um, the, the person who died is at the center of the circle and stretching out from them, you have seven relationships that put somebody in a category of being a Karova, Krova, somebody who's a close relative who is designated as a formal mourner. Those formal mourners have several sort of um, benchmarks of mourning that they go through. They're the first seven days. First day starts is counted as the day and on the day of burial, right? So the day of burial is day one of Shiva. And the, the person gets up from those seven days of intense mourning, typically not leaving their home except on Shabbat, which we'll get to in a second, during those seven days, getting up on the seventh day from that Shiva. And then there are several more benchmarks, depending on how close the relative is, and particularly for a parent, uh, uh, sibling, parent, spouse, shloshim. And then that's this 30-day mark. Then you get to the 11-month mark for a parent. Now, when somebody is um, in a period of Shiva, all public mourning takes place not on Shabbat. So that means either the ripped piece of clothing or the ribbon that they wear that's torn, that's done not on Shabbat, right? That's done at all times that are not Shabbat. They stay in their home. They don't do their hair or look in the mirror to do makeup, that sort of a thing. For Shabbat, the public pieces of mourning are lifted just for Shabbat itself. So someone can come to the synagogue. They can actually fix themselves up if they're permitted to shower, if that's something that they really need, permitted to shave even if that's something that they really need. And then they uh, also, but most people do not um, uh, during that time. And uh, they are um, uh, they are uh, also um, potentially going to come to the synagogue setting to say Shiva there, whereas the rest of Shiva, typically what we try to do as a community is go to their home to make minions. They don't even have to leave their home, but they're coming into the synagogue. However, when we get to the story of why Kabbalat Shabbat exists, we're going to see that Kabbalat Shabbat is like the Pesuke de Zimra of the week, right? It's the uh, idea that you aren't just going to leap into Shabbat, you're going to take some time getting into Shabbat. But Kabbalat Shabbat itself, all the way up until this point in Kabbalat Shabbat, is considered not, it, it's considered um, still part of the weekday. It's not yet Shabbat yet. So you've got that meaning kind of weighing on things, right? It's not yet Shabbat. This is all pre-Shabbat stuff. And if that's the case, then somebody who is in mourning is not going to do celebratory psalms to welcome in Shabbat. Right? So they're not actually even 
in traditional spaces going to come into the room. So if somebody comes to synagogue, however, they're coming to synagogue that afternoon and ideally they're saying mincha at home, but they might even be there saying mincha in the afternoon with the synagogue minion, just practically speaking. And then they would step out of the room and not be in for most of Kabbalah Shabbat. And this is the point at which we're about to welcome them back in where we come to the Psalm for Shabbat, which I explained is one of the places where we affect the coming on of Shabbat and where public mourning is lifted for the week. When we welcome them in the room, just after we've welcomed the Shabbat bride, we use the customary saying, Hamakom may the place where may God comfort you among the mourners, the remnant of the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. Does that make sense? The mourners come and they stay out of the room for that first part. So if you've ever seen that happen, now you know why. If you've never seen it happen, now you can look for it. And they can choose to be in the room if they'd like to be. Sometimes mourners do choose to be in the room. When we finish with that, if we have someone to welcome, then we go to the Psalm for Shabbat, which kicks us back to Psalm 92. We do all of Psalm 92. And then what's this one? Psalm 93, just to round it out. And that's it. So those are the seven Psalms of Kabbalat Shabbat. <laughs> Plus in there are Yedid Nefesh, sometimes Ana Bechoach, and Lechadodi. What happens when we finish with Psalm 93? What did I say it unlocks? If we do biblical texts, then we've unlocked a... Kaddish. Mourner's Kaddish. Mourner's Kaddish. Exactly. So then we're going to do Mourner's Kaddish. Okay. So now back to the story of Kabbalat Shabbat for a minute. Um, Kabbalat Shabbat is basically a 15th, 16th century invention. The concept is a bunch of mystics in Svat. Um, they get together and they say it is not possible to just leap from a weekday into Shabbat itself. We need some sort of bridge to go from uh, the regular weekday into Shabbat itself. And so they created this entire structure of a service, some psalms that would be said to lead into it, which is mirrored after the concept of Pesuke de Zimra. When we go from a festive day to into Shabbat, like if we have a festival or even Cholam Oed, the middle of a festival, and we're going into Shabbat, we only start Kabbalat Shabbat where? Think about it logically, what we just looked through. What's the essential part of Kabbalat Shabbat? No. After that. It's where we start after where the mourners come in. This is the break, right? So after the Chadudi and when we do the Psalm for Shabbat, it's the Psalm for Shabbat, Psalm 92. Use more surely on my Shabbat. That's when we, that's when we pull it in. Yeah. Okay. So uh, next time that we get together, we are going to look more deeply at each of these pieces of the Psalms and of the poetry, and then we'll keep going and we'll move a little bit into comparatively the Mari of a Friday night, so we can look at the similarities and the differences with the weekday service. That's that. Any questions? I have a question. Yeah, jump in, Denise. Um, when you were saying that you could say Kabbalat Shabbat late, um, like how late can you say? Yes, it? anytime. Sometimes I, you know, I don't get around to saying until well after I've had dinner, put my kids to bed, and then it's like, well, I guess I can daven now. <laughs> um, so we can say it nice oh, and late. Great. Okay. Okay, cool. Thank you. Yep. Permissible anytime. Uh, some people would say you don't need to do it and it's a little silly to do it, right? Like, like maybe just do Psalm 92 and 93 at that point because the point of it is past. Um, but there's nothing wrong ever with saying Tehillim, right? With saying Psalm. There's nothing prohibited about it. So you're good. Okay, thanks. 
All right. Great class. Thanks, uh, everybody, for your extended attention. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you, Rabbi. See you, see you next Thank week. You. Thank you for making it a short class. It's a, a busy night. A very busy nice night. Yeah. I'll see you later. Thank you. Thank you. Are you, are you going to say anything about this being on the podcast later tonight or no? Uh, about which thing? Being, oh, the, the later event being on the podcast? Yeah. I, I don't know because I know that you talked with Sharsharit about putting it in. Yeah, yeah. I probably won't say anything in the moment about it it being there, but I think that we we might review after the fact together if there's anything we want to like make sure it doesn't get on there because it was too private or something. But yeah, okay. I think, yeah. What is the, okay? What is that site that you referenced earlier? Oh yeah, let me type that in for you into the chat. Zmanim. www.myzmanim.com. And you can register. If you register to have an account there, then you don't need to worry about um, having, uh, like, it doesn't cost, but if you register, then you can actually hop around days. Right? So you can look at, you can look if, you know, today's Tuesday, but I wanted to look at Friday. So if you register for the site, you just, you know, register to be a user and you're good. We needed that when we went to Antarctica. Yeah. And it was 24 hours a day of daylight. And it was the end of the year. It was Hanukkah, too. So we needed, we needed, so we we didn't, some, our rabbi at the time gave us the times. And yep. And you just go by what you can go by. They, yeah, I think they went by the Ushuaia times. Yeah. Because yep. we left from Ushuaia to go yeah. to Antarctica. Oh. So cool. <laughs> It was it was so weird. Yeah, it's totally weird. I mean, the whole daylight thing is crazy there. Yeah. Um, twenty four. Yeah. Yeah, the twenty four. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I'll see you all really soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.